0: Hello, welcome back, the 831 podcast, episode 34, Um, another one in the bag, eh, guys, I hope you all had a chance to listen to the last two, Uh, Nicole Vignola, obviously episode 32 was amazing, I absolutely loved it, then it was Adrian Thomas, episode 33 was so good, Um, so informative, so diverse, just a great podcast, a great guy, it was really fun. Um, and now we're on to episode thirty-four. My guest today is amazing. I'm gonna just go through quick bits of housekeeping. So, of course, um, as always, Trojan Fitness, Trojan Nutrition, long-term sponsors, the Clyde Sailor Limited are a sponsor. Obviously, I train at A Three Academy, Bristol. I teach there also, and the Sweatbox academy, the Sweatbox Gym in Bristol. I train and teach there. Pedro Bassa BJJ. I do my jujitsu also. So. Yeah, that's places you should look up and get familiar with. There are uh, places where I'm at regularly, so they always get a mention on here. But we are always looking for sponsors. If you're listening and you fancy sponsoring, doesn't matter how little you want to sponsor, get in touch. And, of course, I keep saying I'm so open to having more guests on here. If you know someone who's written a book, a, a, I don't know, a, a author of children's books, but they're a really cool person. Let me know. I'll speak to anybody. It's just great to talk to lots of different people. Hopefully lots of different people are listening to these as well. So that means it'll get a broader spectrum. And I'd like to speak to as many different people as possible. So please, any ideas for guests, let me know and we'll get them on. So episode 34, I'm over the moon to be uh, joined by someone I'm lucky to call a friend. And that's Jeff Shapiro. Jeff is... We've been friends since the X-Peer uh, a couple of years ago. We both competed in the X-Peer. We met each other there and just really we bonded really well. And I really like the guy. We fit each other's personalities really well. And he's just a much cooler version of everything I want to be. <laughs> he's uh, he's just a great guy. Jeff's uh, an awesome guy. And we got together and we had an amazing talk. You might think that because we've done a few of these lately with paragliding people and that it's going to be similar. Oh, no, this is not a similar talk to anyone who I've had on. The base jumping stories aren't similar. The paragliding stories aren't similar. Everything's different about Jeff. Everything's different about this. So it's well worth a a listen. The adventure that that he describes from his recent trip to Alaska is mind blowing. And all the time he speaks just just draws you into wanting to be there you know so this one was brilliant and i absolutely loved it and i'm sure that you're going to love it too so yeah without further ado basically it's best to get straight on and let you guys hear it this is episode 34 of the 831 podcast and this is my good friend jess shapiro Okay then Jeff, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Ah uh, thanks for having me, man. yeah, it's cool to see you catch up. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, definitely mate. my pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been a while. what was it uh, the Pier, probably the last time we uh, the last time we saw each other, but we've obviously spoke since then.
1: Yeah, yeah 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 it's actually what I mean it's coming up on two years I guess because the Pier is supposed to be happening soon. Um, I don't think it, it it's not happening, correct? Is that officially, it's been canceled? Yeah,
0: officially canceled the other day? Yeah, yeah,
1: they, that's a bummer for those guys.
0: Yeah, did you apply or you were not going to do it this no, year? No,
1: I wasn't gonna do it this year. Uh, I actually thought about it a lot because it was such a good time. and um, because, you know, um, not relative to the competition, but because uh, you know, I made some mistakes when we did it together um and uh, feel like it would be fun after learning lessons from that experience and learning more about the course to to go and give her again you know but I I did a pretty cool expedition last year uh, I flew a paraglider and uh, hiked you know did a, did a vol bib trip across um, a section of Alaska uh, in the Brooks Range which is north of the Arctic Circle um, across the ANWAR the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and it's like Well, it's the largest designated wildlife refuge in the North American continent. And there's no infrastructure, no trails, no roads, no nothing. It's just raw wilderness for uh, forever. And, um, you know, it's nothing but brown bears and caribou and wolves. And it's just (laughs) such an awesome place. And I really fell in love with that mountain range. I went and did that uh, expedition last summer with a good buddy of mine. And um, unfortunately, he uh, had an accident after we got back and, and isn't with us anymore. And so this year I... I ended up uh, really getting motivated to go back and do kind of a solo mission up there, um, slightly different, but uh, you know, to reconnect with the memories that we had w- that we made, and to um, to sort of incorporate this new adventure that I've been on lately, which has uh, been flying a bush plane around a bunch, which has been yeah, a, I saw that, quiet, That's a, man,
0: yeah, that, that was pretty badass. It's one of those um. I think if I was to live out in the States, it was something I would definitely do. But I mean, Here, we, we have very little use for it. I have considered doing a uh, like a microlight course here so that I can fly yeah, yeah. a fixed-wing microlight and get a jabberoo or something. And I just think you know, it would be quite cool if I wanted to go and fly birds of prey in Scotland for the weekend. I can just put a, a falcon on the side of the seat and I could fly up there. I can be there in half the time, land in a little local place, and you're away.
1: I mean, that's it, right? It's like we both love to fly and at the root of it, it's the flying that's enjoyable, but they're also tools, you know, like a, a bush plane or a microlight, they're, they're toys and they're tools. And, yeah. uh, you know, putting a falcon in the back of the bush plane and flying, I mean, like the Alaskans say, you know, you can, you can fly an hour, or you can walk a week, it's up to you, you know, and <laughs> exactly. um, they are really handy and helpful. And if it's um, an aircraft that's specialized to do that, then landing in some pretty remote places, is is really possible. So yeah, they're they're amazing tools. Um, the plane that I'm flying, that thing can land in, you know under two hundred feet and take off in about the same. And wow. and uh, you know it can efficiently get there if you're trying to make some distance too. But um, but at the root of it, it's really fun to fly too. You know, I mean <laughs> just just being able to uh, carve turns up a river fly up into the mountains and land in these remote places by you know in itself is super fun
0: yeah it looks super fun. so where are you based in the in the so where are you like right now where would the plane be etc where would you be be, where are you sort of stationed
1: yeah my family and i live in montana which is Mm -hmm. like in the northwest corner of uh the us and um we're you know we're on the far western side right in the rockies and um my the plane is in a hangar like twenty minutes from the house, um, so it's pretty convenient to be able to run down there and and just you know whatever. My wife and I'll hop in the plane and and go fly into the mountains. It's one little hop over a mountain range, and we're we're you know pretty deep in the backcountry.
0: Yeah, Montana is one of my favorite places. I uh, I was there. I went there for Lost Prairie. And, uh, oh, nice! It yeah. was like that in itself. Lost Prairie Boogie was awesome um one of the i think it's the oldest skydiving boogie in america right something like that yeah
1: just you know classically known for its debauchery and you know there's like you know (laughs) naked partying and all kinds of stuff i mean the
0: that's exactly the last prairie is
1: pretty legendary
0: (laughs) yeah it was uh it was really cool but then what it allowed me to do is uh open my eyes to just how amazing somewhere like montana is when you come from you know, I'd been down at uh, Elsinore a little bit before that, and in, in, in LA, I've been training in LA. And then you go up to somewhere like Lost Prairie, uh, up to Montana, and you hit, when you get into like Missoula, you're like, okay, so this is still, there's still a little bit of a town here. There's still stuff going on. And you push a little bit further on, you're like, yeah, this is like, this is bear and elk country. This is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we live. We live in Missoula.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep, I remember yep. really well
0: yeah I, uh, I went to there's a little there was a little barber shop there a little hairdressers, and I went and needed my haircut so I went in before I lost Prairie and I started talking and the uh the girl goes oh where are you from I said oh, I'm from a place called Bristol in the UK she's like yeah I'm from Swindon which is about 37 miles from Bristol
1: oh wow I oh, don't know did I lose you Damn. oh there you go i got you back now
0: oh i don't know what happened there mate like the glitchy internet
1: yeah yeah weird
0: yeah yeah so uh yeah i love the um missoula and montana montana is somewhere i could really see me spending some serious time so it's uh, nice to get like an idea for people where you are with this plane and know that you know when you take off it, it must be epic around that area
1: yeah no it is it's um i mean We have a couple of the more well-known national parks here, both Yellowstone and Glacier Park are -hmm. are within, you know, range with the plane pretty easily. And so seeing some of that from the air especially and and just seeing how much country uh, there is to see from the air is pretty cool. Uh, It's opened up a lot of doors for sure. But like you said, you know, when you came here, for me, it seems like a lot of these things are just vehicles to sort of, you know, connect with people and, and um, oftentimes you find out how small the world really is, you know, it's, it, yeah. that part of it's cool. Because I mean, you know, like when we met at the X Pier, and, you know, there are some things that you do that are, you know, quite individual, like, but at, at a, you know, certain time in my life, I was into uh, jujitsu. And, and, you know, we both are falconers, and we both love to fly. So th- I think, in a lot of cases you end up meeting people where you find out that you have a lot more in common with people than than you might think even if you do some you know sort of bizarro stuff like we do you know
0: yeah i agree lots of people um lots of people stay within their bubble with which they're raised especially when you're you're raised in somewhere like the uk on maybe a small small council estate and you go to a, a little secondary school where all your friends go to and then you end up get into your local pub and you spend lots of your time there after work on a Friday and you get a small group of friends and that becomes your group of friends through life as where I feel like the adventures that I've been on and the interests that I've had, paragliding, falconry, skydiving, base jumping, they've allowed me to broaden that. And then you meet so many other people who the, the, the passion just brings you all together and very, very quickly, you just end up with this bigger and larger group of friends who are just so much like you like it's sort of like the without sounding too too out there but like it's like the world sort of bringing you together your your energy your enthusiasm is just creating this big group for you all to be in which is which is awesome
1: yeah yeah for sure
0: so where um where did it start for you mate where did you grow up uh was it local to there you you you're like born and raised in that area or
1: no no i um so my I have one brother. We were raised uh, north of Seattle, which is uh, west of here in Washington State, uh, until mm, I guess I must have been 20 when I moved here, so 23. Um, but my, my brother and I were raised mostly in Washington for a few months out of every year, so sometimes up to three or four months. We were um, spending time in Hawaii, so... Um, I had family there that was uh, alone, and my brother and I would even from the time we were born, little kids, we'd get you know, our folks would need a break from to Hellraiser, so she'd, they'd put us <laughs> on a plane, and, and um, you know, I, rem- I have lots of memories as a little kid of the flight stewardesses, you know, looking after us and, and getting us off the plane, and we'd spend months in Hawaii. So I had this sort of um, upbringing where. I would spend most of my year in the mountains and then, you know, a small portion of my year uh, in the ocean uh, surfing. And that whole culture influenced me a lot. But um, I went to college in Seattle, downtown, got a job um, in that part of the country. And just my wife and I uh, both were just sick and tired, sitting in our cars in traffic every day and uh, ended up, having an opportunity to move to Missoula in 97 and have been here ever since. We sort of fell in love with this place just because of the convenience of outdoor recreation. Mostly, you know, most of the people who live here don't live here for the economy. They live here because, uh, you know, at, being outside and, and getting after it is pretty uh, important to them or, or um, in one form or another of that, you know, so uh, most of the people who live in Missoula, Uh, Full time tend to be pretty happy and healthy, and we like that energy. There's it's a college town, but it's it's not a party town, it's like a lot of art, a lot of uh music. Um, there's something going on every weekend, uh, in the summertime, lots of like people's market, farmers' market, um, you know, art walk, and all these things that happen every every week here. Um, so it keeps the town pretty alive, uh, but mostly it's that you know, in 15 minutes, I mean, I, I can. I uh, feel really fortunate to be able to walk out of that out of the house and run up into the mountains and in, you know 30 minutes be in the middle of nowhere all by myself you know that that's that has a high value to me so we fell in love with this place and never wanted to leave and you know like you i i get the opportunity to travel a lot for work or for you know play or whatever it is that i'm doing and uh, i'm always pretty glad pretty feel really lucky to be coming home to missoula to montana you know
0: yeah definitely i uh I would feel the same. And it's amazing how your uh, your escape to where, where it feels, you feel at home and you feel happy is outdoors. And, you know, with this big expression of freedom that I'm the same, although I'm born in the city, as soon as I get outdoors and I'm with nature or wildlife, I can be alone, but feel completely content. Completely content, and then I can be in the middle of the city and feel really alone because you're going through a mundane life where nobody's even talking to you, you're surrounded by people, and nobody's even stopping to really engage with you. But you can be on a hike up a mountain trail, and everyone's like, good day, hi. Like if you if you do happen to bump into somebody, they're just they'll speak to you, and it's just uh yeah, you feel a lot more welcomed in at home. Just being out in out in the middle, middle of the wilderness, you know.
1: It's true. It's funny. I, I I never thought of it that way, but that's, that's very true. Uh, when I'm, I mean, I actually really, I mean, I'm not so much a city person. I would, uh, always choose to live in a place that was more, um, I don't know, I guess remote would be not the right word for it, but, but with access to the outdoors, that would be really easy. Um, but I do enjoy being in a city. I like visiting the city, um, and cities all over the world. I mean, I, I have lots of fond memories and and cool cities for sure adventures in cities is a, an adventure regardless right but um it's true walking around a city especially at you know in a city that i don't know by myself it's an adventure but it doesn't feel that much different relative to being alone or whatever um than being in the mountains and yet when i'm in the mountains even if i'm by myself i i i'm never anxious about it so uh yeah i don't know you know i think each of us has a sort of an environment that we're most comfortable in and um and And, in a lot of the things that I enjoy doing, and I think I'm sure you're probably the same based on what your interests are. Um, I, I do find a lot of uh, comfort in you know, just having some quiet time and doing something that requires um, you know, my own interpretation instead of having to sort of adjust that to everybody I'm with, you know, like when I go out and hunt with a Falconer or I'm flying a paraglider i mean we're we're doing these things sometimes socially like people are around, but essentially they're on you're kind of on your own you know you're yeah. you're making decisions and relying on your own skill set and um having your own perception and and learning in a way that that um that changes you know maybe how you interact with other people, but it's still kind of a uh you know it's it's still for me I find a lot of value in in um relying on myself and, and having the, that sort of quiet time by myself, yeah, you know.
0: Definitely. I, I've um I just started writing a, a book and it's sort of a memoir and I was re, re rewriting a chapter uh about when I first started Live Birds of Prey and I said there's a bit in there and when I was writing it I was reminded that uh there was a moment when I uh first caught something with my hawk, and I just thought to myself in that moment like I I I want this to be selfish I'm on my own and I don't want to share this with anybody else that this is a moment for me and it's perfect because there's no one there to watch nobody got to sort to see it if I tell anybody about it, I have to relive the memory and it was just perfect that it was selfish as well That it was just me and that's exactly how I liked it you know and there's a big aspect of my life whether that's fishing or fulcuring that really does just enjoy that this is for me moment
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that 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 sort of hits the nail on the head because, um, and I've heard it, it described in a few different ways, but it's it's very true. That's kind of a life theme: is is um, the things that are most important uh, to me, at least in terms of like you know adds the most to my life. You know, the things that are most fulfilling. They're in arenas where n- no one's watching and no one cares. You know, and the th- the th- the thing about you know, like as an example, paragliding or hang gliding or. You know, whatever you're doing this thing, and all these moments happen. And man, like like you, you know, uh, the most memorable wingsuit base jumps I've done, the ones that mean the most to me, are the ones where I was totally by myself uh, with no cameras, and I don't need to tell anybody about them. They're, they're, okay. my, the two most important cameras that I was born with were the only ones I needed. And if I can't remember it, then it's not. It just doesn't doesn't matter. It's not. Doesn't mean anything. And um so you know paying attention to the here and now being present right now not worrying about you know what so and so is going to hear about it later uh that makes that moment uh, unique and special because it is and then you know the other part of that is is when you tell a story you know when you've experienced something um you've experienced it it changes uh who you are because it emotionally affects you you know you're you were out there essentially for this emotional response and when you tell the story it's very linear and if someone isn't there to experience it then you can't give that to them you can't give that that yeah. how it affects you and so it's just a story right and the way you tell a story because words tend to murder emotion you know you 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 tell the story and it's already different than what actually happened and so it's like yeah. you can't i can't give that to somebody so in some of those cases like you said you know on those special moments you might as well not try and just just keep it for yourself like sometimes i'll see something and even when i have a camera and i could take a picture of it i don't because i just want to i just want to keep that moment for me like i earned that i was there and yeah. um you know i mean call it selfish i don't know but uh, either way that's real life and and i i do think it's inspiring and cool to share those things those moments those um important experiences when we can through film or photos or whatever if if um if it inspires other people not to do what you do but to do whatever calls to them then it's cool you know I, I think that's fine um but I I also think that it's important to uh, recognize the uniqueness of the moment and to appreciate it in a way that um, that acknowledges the present the here and now you know and uh, and I try to never forget that and um yeah so anyways
0: <laughs> you um. So you were you were young, you were living in Seattle and Hawaii, you started to grow up. What came first for you, mate? Did you uh were you Falconry f- 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 or was it like hang gliding? What was your, your obsession with sort of flight or nature or nature, then flight, or because you liked nature that, that like transcended into flight? What how did it sort of work out for you?
1: Yeah, it's funny, man. It was it was kind of an organic thing. I was just a punk kid like everybody else, um, looking for something. And um I think being like a curious dude and just wanting, um, finding that those unique environments that required a lot of work, um, to get into and, uh, maybe some risk was kind of a, a bit of a, a turn on for a curious person, you know? So when I was, t- I must've been around, around 10 or something, my, one of my dad's friends sort of introduced me to the idea of climbing and told some stories. And I really got into rock climbing when I was 14, um, like started Hitching rides up to one of our local areas and climbing cracks, and um, you know the adventure of traditional climbing, especially and being in the mountains, um, was just this you know sort of expression of freedom for a kid who was, you know, I mean I was just a punk skateboard, you know <laughs> I was I was into surfing and skating and snowboarding and all these things, but um, none of my friends were climbers, you know, no nobody was uh, uh, was into rock climbing. This was a unique thing and. Um, was something that you had to work hard to, to get to. So, I, um, yeah, I got into rock climbing around I guess I was 14 and I, I got into it heavy and started climbing a lot and um, started going down to Yosemite, which was, you know, a bit of an eye-opener because it's so historically huge there and just yeah. kind of the center of modern rock climbing and um, the culture, you know, these, these kids that I was meeting down there, they were all like, you know, in, interested in the same things I was. And uh, so a buddy of mine um, was, uh, this, this guy that I met was designing portaledges and, and packs and harnesses and all kinds of stuff for climbing. He's a pretty passionate climber. He's really different than everybody I'd met. And um, we just kind of clicked. And he was going to loan me a, uh, him, one of his new designs for a portaledge to go down to Yosemite. And I drove over to his shop to go pick it up on my way down to the valley. And um, there were pictures of him all over his shop flying hang gliders. And uh, man, it, you know, it just, co- yeah, it completely grabbed a hold of me, and I, I was, um, I was, you know, sure, one hundred percent sure that that's what I had to do at that point. And uh, so, yeah, seventeen, I learned how to fly hang gliders. He was lucky enough, or I was lucky enough that he uh, was willing to to teach me. And um, I mean, yeah, it. I spent, you know, that first summer basically flying every single day, and and. Um, you know, kind of learn the ins and outs of, of, uh, how, how you do these things from some renegades, the guys that taught me, they weren't instructors. They were just, you know, they they were loose, man. It was, (laughs) it was was pretty funny. I mean, now I look back on it, especially being, you know, an instructor or whatever, teaching other people how to fly over the years. I look back on the way I learned and I mean, I'm really good. I feel really lucky to have learned that way, but I feel pretty lucky to have survived it, you know, in some ways they were, they were great instructors and, you know, um, on a personal level, but, but they weren't really in, you know, um, it, well, I, it, it didn't fit into any kind of like recipe of how you might teach somebody successfully today. But it's good but though,
0: because that you, totally. you, you learn in that way as well, makes you a appreciate how amazing that was, how much an adventure how valuable, but it also makes you appreciate how you shouldn't teach that way, which is, so, you you get both sides of it you get a positive and the negative side of it and yeah. you know you 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 realize you lived through it you made it the next person might not
1: right right yeah I mean I learned on a on a hang glider I mean it was in my mind it was like no different than you know buying a used pair of skis from a garage sale you know I I, I learned <laughs> yeah. on this glider that was built in 1978 it was a flight science saber 205 and it had you know it had duct tape on it and like the the side wires were were kind of shredded and like the same side wires that were put on it when the thing was built. And, um, you know, the battens were flat and fiberglass and had zero shape to them. It was just this, you know, it was basically a regalo wing. And, um, you know, I was running off mountains in Washington and, you know, like in the big mountains, running off that thing with a knee hanger harness and no parachute and a bike helmet, you know, and um, (laughs) as a 17 year old kid, you know, basically just like, wow, that was cool, you know, and not, not, having any understanding as to what it was that I was doing. And, and, um, I mean, I did, but you know what I'm saying? It was like, it developed over time into a fascination that included learning more about the sport and the history of the sport and the, the yeah. gear I was using. And, and that happened pretty quickly, actually, like in the, the first two years or year and a half or something I was flying, uh, I'd flown three or four different gliders and, and, you know, was kind of doing it for real, but, um, yeah. And then, in to I was still climbing pretty much full time and um, all different types of climbing. There's been times in my life where I was really into walling. Uh, times that I've been really into just ice climbing and mixed climbing and sport climbing and all these things. you know, you just get sort of hooked on one form and push really hard and try and push push the the absolute limits uh, of my capabilities in each one of those things. Um, just because, you know, whatever, I was maybe a little bit jaded or bored on, the, on, the other, uh, on some other discipline. And um, I had gotten kind of hurt in 2006, I think. I blew out a tendon and needed to take a break and um, decided I'd try competing in a hang glider. I thought racing a hang glider sounded like an interesting, um, you know, it sounded like a, a pretty neat lesson to learn. You know, it sounded like an opportunity to learn a lot which I was most interested in, just getting better, you know? At, at that stage even, um, more so now even, but but then I was less interested in being good at stuff and just better, or just just more interested in getting better to that's, the learning aspect, you know? Yeah,
0: that's like, uh, so a lot of people will refer to maybe yourself or people like me, we're considered like renegades or mavericks and a little bit out there and a little bit wild, but what you generally find with people like that, of that mentality is that, although, yeah, okay, you could say we're renegades, we're a little bit wild, we're a little bit out there, we're we're generally looking to improve and get better and because right. we're looking for that and we're looking to be great at something and we don't want to make mistakes and we want our peers who we look up to we want them to eventually like see us on a peer level as them we're just wanting to be better so then we're rushing steps and we're, we're moving fast so people think oh he's a renegade he's wild but in actuality it's a first for knowledge and it's a crave for knowledge and you're just trying to be better and learn and be as proficient as possible
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, for, yeah, exactly. I I mean, like I said, I just, I've just been fascinated with how things are done. And, um, of course, anything I do, it's not, has nothing to do with, like, I don't give a shit about what people think of me. It's more just, um, I want to do whatever I'm doing in the best way that I can because it's fun for me to learn and to progress, you know, and it's never relative to somebody else. It's always relative to me. I just want to be a little better than I was yesterday, but it's cool to use my friends who I have a lot of respect for as benchmarks and as to whether or not my my I'm making progress or my mistakes uh, are mistakes or or, you know, maybe I made a decision today that worked and, and what, what does that mean? And, you know, competition especially was an opportunity for that. It was to be able to go and to race against myself yesterday, but to use all my buddies who were, you know, some were much better pilots than me uh, to benchmark my mistakes and my successes and to see what worked and what didn't, and then to make those changes and apply them tomorrow, you know? And so I would go to say two comps in Australia or whatever and get like, you know, whatever 80 hours of flying and 1500 miles of XC in in three weeks and it was like um, you know three seasons in yeah. in one trip you know and I would learn so much and, and that was the turn on you know and it was it's always cool to win the day or to you know do well or to feel like you raced well or whatever but but mostly it was it was a thirst for learn to learn you know and then um, so I, I competed in a hang glider from 2007 to 2011 I think pretty much, full-time, five. you know, I did like 50 or 60 tasks a year, you know, it was like um, five or six major comps a year, yeah. and and once again, it kind of, you know, what started out as being driven by some ambition um, ended up being uh, appreciated as just an opportunity to meet new people and to discover new ways of, of seeing the world, you know, new perspectives and new, um, new places, and just, man, it just opened my eyes to what was possible, and... Yeah. Um, and then uh you know there was this there's this guy um as a climber you might be familiar with this guy named Dean Potter who yeah, um, I, yeah yeah so dean was just a really inspiring dude for me and we um met i think at a trade show or something i can't remember but we you know being both sort of private people i remember it was just madness it was like i think it was the outdoor retailer and, and there's just you know people walking around everywhere thousands of people and You know, he had Whisper Dog with him, and we just, like, went over in the corner and sat down on the carpet, you know, and just, like, had a conversation about nothing. And um, we were talking, and he was, you know, he was psyched on learning how to hang glide and uh, started telling me about flying wingsuits, you know. And he was like, man, he he knew that uh, from what I was interested in that it would be something that, um, that would, you know, give me what I was looking for. And, um, so he, he talked to me about it and I, you know, I, honestly, I wasn't really that, um, into the idea of jumping out of planes, uh, just, just because it just seemed like, um, airports and fuel and, um, a lot of falling as opposed to, you know, if I was going to fall, I'd just go out and climb and take whippers, you know, or, but I, what I was most interested in was flying. And then I saw some, I saw a film of him, uh, he had climbed a route on a, um, a feature called mount butte i think in canada with another dude or two other dudes i can't remember but he ended up building this crazy ramp because it was really a positive exit and jumping it in a wingsuit and it was a big suit and the cineflex footage was it just completely blew my mind that he had was flying that long and the footage was beautiful and he's flying over like a broken glacier and out this big deep valley and it was it was really pretty spectacular footage and uh, my wife and i were watching it just because dean was on it and, and i I remember seeing it, and I just I just picked up the phone and called him, and was like, "All right, man, I get it. You know, like this is something that I'd really like to do." And he and he was like, "All right, you know, let this you know do this, do this, do this, blah blah blah," and um, you know soon we'll be jumping together. And that's kind of how that that went, you know. And at that time, big suits were just starting to kind of develop. I mean, people were flying like Tony suits. Uh, they were making some some big suits already, and, and uh, people were starting to fly them, and um, that movement towards, you know, terrain flying was just kind of getting going. People were watching the occasional uh, bit of footage of um, people driving lines in France and Switzerland, and, like, you know, there were co- still comments, like, I don't think this is real. I think this is just fake, you know, like, it was just such, so out of the norm, and, um at that time uh some of the big suits were being developed and the um the ability to actually fly a suit you know gaining performance was uh was developing as as i was you know starting to develop in the sport i mean you know i'm sure people that have been in it longer than me would would scoff at that and say oh man we were flying way before that and it's true but it's i mean you know i remember what seven second exits were uh like that was gnarly, you know. Seven yeah. seconds, holy shit! You like might walk away from that one, and you know, people. Most of the people I knew were that were flying terrain lines. Were flying them in small suits, and you know, still, it was still very much about getting away from the object. And um, now, you know, I mean, Jesus, like four second rock drop is common. I mean, that's like normal. I remember when that was like some of the gnarliest exits in the world. Just for, you know, four and a half seconds, holy shit! Like you, you know, you're probably one of ten people that have jumped that or whatever. But either way, um, it developed into you know this fascination with flight developed into flying wingsuits. and um, and I, I also started playing with paragliders then. Uh, I think it was two thousand ten or two thousand and eleven. I was doing some hiking flies and kiting a little bit. Um, and I, it wasn't until maybe two thousand and fifteen that I kind of gave up hang gliding for paragliding because yeah. of that that ability to mix the two, you know, to mix those passions of being in the mountains hiking and fitness and and the understanding that you could cover a lot of ground with, I mean, as you know, man, eighty percent, 85% probably of hang gliding and paragliding are identical. You're, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're making the same decisions. Everybody thinks it's so different. It's like, you know, these two different camps. It's, that's bullshit. It's exactly the same. Everybody's doing the same thing. We're just... Making um, use of what the what what energy is in the earth to to you know get us from one place to another and uh, between hang gliding and paragliding those decisions are made in an identical way. Yeah. The exactly. only difference the only the only difference is just the limitations of the vehicle and learning how to manage the vehicle. You know. So um, it offered this ability to paragliding offered this ability to utilize this skill set and this level of experience that I'd gained from whatever, 25 years of flying hang gliders, um, but also the opportunity to learn something completely new, which was super exciting, right? It wasn't, the learning curve became super steep again, you know, instead of being, um, it's not that I wasn't learning in a hang glider. It was just that it was there, I was learning so much more in a paraglider. And then the, the opportunity to, as you know, be able to land in the middle of nowhere. And, um, the reality is, is, If I landed in the middle of the mountains in a hang glider, because that thing is 19 feet long and 70 pounds and then another 40 on your back, uh, moving with it is just impractical. But in a paraglider, I mean, you know, you have nine kgs and it's a proper xc kit like we had in the x pier i mean you know you land in the middle of nowhere if you're healthy and relatively fit you can get yourself out you can either hike to another launch and fly out or you can walk out and that's or just you've got the got a shelter.
0: if you need to camp you've got a shelter that you can just oh i can stay here for a few hours if it rains rather than walking in the rain i can cover everything up i can sit here i'm good and i can carry on tomorrow or in a few hours right. it's just yeah it's just so much more convenient that you don't have to you're not no one's going to try and hide under there hang glider after carrying it for three hours when 70 but it's just completely impractical
1: right right so the the you know the act of flying a hang glider is super cool it's a really unique way to fly your head first you're you know you're prone like a bird so for those of us that are interested in flight based on our interest in raptors and and you know bird-like flight i don't know if i've ever done any flying that's more bird-like than hang gliding um, but in terms of trying to You know, cover ground and see a lot of the mountains and be very self-sufficient. You know, uh, paragliding is, I mean, it's it's really an incredible uh, way to fly. I mean, you carry this, this, you know, this. It's a true wing on your back, and um, and then you know, if you're like I said, if you're fit and you're willing to run with a pack, you can cover. I mean, as as you know, or as people are proving all over the world, you can cover the ground to cross entire mountain ranges um or whatever continents on a paraglider and um man that's that's pretty exciting that opens a lot of doors you know
0: yeah exactly that was uh when I first started uh, I I was reluctant to do uh paragliding for a long time it took my mate eight years of nagging me to get me into it and then um, I told those old men he float around a hill, and I was a skydiver who did bass, and I'm cool, and you guys are just old guys. And then he took me up and I ground handled, and I realized how difficult it was a ground handle. And as soon as anything's difficult for me, I'm hooked. I'm like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. oh I got
0: master this, so that hooked me. And then uh, about three days after that, he showed me the Red Bull X Alps. I was like, oh, I'm in, sold. That is, that's me. But of course, I was still fighting full time and managing to Slot it in with fighting, it just uh, paragliding just took precedence. And in my first year, I did like 275 or 285 hours or something. In my first year, where most people are doing 75, just upset, yep. it just took over everything. I, I didn't think I fought for a year, I was just like, This is wow! And then that was just doing small XCs in the UK. So, when you which are still they're still probably my favorite, if I'm honest, flatland, I land somewhere, I know I can just hike to a train, get a train home, or a hike and hitchhike i'm good but then when i realized you can do this in the mountains and you can put in a week's adventure instead of a few hours yeah. the possibilities were just endless i was like this this talk, this is speaking to me this is where i want to go the the adventure along with the the skill that's involved yeah i was sold on it from there
1: well and too i'm sure this is a part of your interest in fighting as well as i've learned um you know, some of the best lessons, certainly the ones that include, uh, you know, humbling me or, you know, I, basically the experiences that matter the most to me are the ones that I'm typically getting my ass handed to me. So mm-hmm. like uh, having some suffering involved equals uh, a greater, you know, opportunity for personal growth, you know, and that's interesting too. It's like, you know, going to the Himalayas and having an open bivvy above 25,000 feet or something, you know, those experiences, um, to me are the ones that I remember far more than standing on top, you know, like, um, and it's because, you you know, you learn who your friends are, you learn, you know, what you're capable of and what you're, you know, what you're interested in. And, and um, that applies to the rest of my life, you know, when when um, I think that I'm done and I'm far from being done, uh, whether it's, a, you know, a 50 mile trail run or a, like a new route in the Himalayas or or whatever, um, you know, in the X or whatever. Um, that can apply to the way that I interact with my kid, you know, or the way that I see um, a problem that needs to be solved, and um, what attitude I take towards that problem. And um, you know, in the end, I think for me, it's all about just, you know, and I think for most people, it's all about just learning how to, you know we're we're all so small, and we're all such a big, um, we're a part of something so much bigger than us, you know that, learning how to be a good human you know and just like do our part is um is important so if the experiences that fulfill me as a human and give me you know a lot of that you know the positive emotional response that i want which doesn't always include good right like i said sometimes that includes getting my ass kicked um that that if that enables me to be a better human and and uh, hopefully to raise a better kid you know another human yeah, then, uh, then i'm psyched you
0: know? and you're having an awesome time while you're doing it so yeah for things. sure that's the thing is i mean there's certain certain things you'll do just because they are beneficial for the next generation or beneficial for people around you but then if something you're doing that you're passionate about and you love is also all of those things all the much better you
1: know? yeah i want to i mean i want to die with with memories not dreams man i, I want to die used up and and smiling you know and um I think uh, you know we life as you as you and I both know uh, life is pretty short uh, shorter for some than others and um, you know taking every opportunity to pay attention um, and I think the ability to pay attention comes from those humbling experiences you know but it's important it's important to pay attention and to use the time that we have and and uh, you know make the be- you know the the most positive difference both in in my own life or in our own lives. Um, and hopefully, and as so many other people that we can, you know, positively influence. Like, you know, my daughter doesn't make me happy. Like, I have to make me happy. She's a huge part of that, um, but undeniably, she influences me every single day. You know, she influences the way I look at the world. She influences the decisions that I make, and um, and the way that I, I handle myself and behave. And hopefully, influence other people. And each one of us is connected that way. And and I think when people forget that. Um, and sort of see the world through the filters of their own egos you know um we we lose that level of connection and and the feeling that we're part of something bigger and you know maybe that's a little foofy or whatever but that the, it, it's something that i've been realizing more and more these days especially with this like you know human nature study that's happening right now with this pandemic you know the way people are behaving and and the way fear is controlling uh the way people behave and treat each other it's it's interesting and and on the, on the flip side of that the, the how how uh amazing people are being too in in ways and the way people are coming together and connecting and and doing what's necessary so um you know it's it's a uh, whatever i
0: think uh, even even social media at the moment even the fact that people are posting stuff like uh we shouldn't be rushing out of lockdown. We should be taking our time. And, we should be, and even that is just a consideration for other people that, that it's a lot of the time lost. You know, lots of people go through their everyday life with very little consideration for others. Not because they're selfish people. They're just busy. You know, it's, the world yeah, that yeah. for a lot of people is just busy. And now a lot of people just posted on Facebook just like we should be considering other people. We shouldn't be thinking about rushing out. What about the people who are this? And it's caused so many people who don't generally have that consideration or time that consideration they now have it and you actually see that fundamentally humans aren't bad like they're not fundamentally humans are good it just takes a lot of people um it takes a lot of experiences for people to engage with that and a lot of people get that gets lost on a lot of people because in this world people are having to just worry about it themselves because they have to go to work nine to five they come home they have to cook they have to prep they have to get ready for the next day and it, it does get very simple to get lost in that um that roundabout things going over and over so you see something like this pandemic which is obviously is terrible but at the same time it has shown a, a, an amazing side of of humanity as well so
1: yeah 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 uh, people, it's, it's it oh go ahead
0: and like people like you were saying just a minute ago with the people i i defy anyone to come out and spend a week with me in nature doing something like camping in the pyrenees or paragliding and then spend a week like kayaking or parag- i'd anyone to come and spend a week doing that and then be sat there at the end thinking i want my old life back i want to go back to the city i want there's going to be a point where you're sat there in that week and you're going to think i could do this this is wow this is what it's about no matter what your background everyone at some point will look there on a mild night or on a nice slow river and they're gonna at some point they're gonna be yeah, this is I can do this because fundamentally that's where we're meant to be.
1: Yeah, well, you know what's what's really been interesting too for for me is that I notice um, time you know time changes, and what I what I mean is is that when um, when I'm focused on and I'm as guilty as anybody at times in my life certainly uh, when I'm focused on routine uh, when I'm thinking about mostly the future like what's happened and and what I'm what I have coming you know what's happening next week or what I'm doing next month, I'm getting ready for a trip or whatever, time goes by extremely fast. I mean it's like I, I sometimes I can't believe three weeks has gone by. It's like holy shit that that I went by like a blink of an eye. And yet when I'm on an expedition and, and I don't have any social media and I'm in the tent reading a book on the storm days and I'm hiking around or looking for a way to get to the mountain or whatever uh, during the day and um you know traveling from village to village with porters trying to get up into the mountains whatever each of those moments are you're living in the present in such a profound way that time goes by exceptionally slow and a day feels like forever so a month feels like a lifetime you know and when i'm home in routine a month goes by like the blink of an eye and that's um that's been a pretty cool realization to have because um you know when when I feel like time is moving by fast, it's telling me that I'm not paying attention to the here and now. You know, when I'm present, it goes by slow, and uh, and I kind of am able to savor every moment. You know, and th- that's um, that's also I think a big sort of uh, attract attractor towards things like paragliding. When we're paragliding, we can't be doing something else, right? Like when we're flying our paragliders, we're flying. That's what we're doing. And Going base meditation. jumping. You're yeah. Base jumping is like the most profound level of that. When I jumped off, you know, an exit wearing a wingsuit, I mean, there, I don't have the mental capacity to do anything other than exactly that. Then, and to the point where, you know, you're so in the present that even time uh, doesn't exist. You know, people ask how long was that jump. I have no idea. I have to like, you know, watch the footage or see some ask somebody else because I don't. I don't even have a sense of time you're, you're, you're living those moments so profoundly, you know? And, um, and I think that th- that's, that's kind of rare. That's like rare life to live, you know? Um, so I think some of, some of my attraction towards doing the things that I do, it's about that. It's about, it brings me to a particular place at which I can't really be doing anything other than that. And, you know, you can find it in quiet with a quiet mind too. It's just more difficult. You could find it meditating or, you know, a lot of people find it in their own ways. Like, trail running i've certainly gotten there being you know after a long intense trip i get home and i'm walking around in the fields in the morning with a falcon on the fist and a dog you know i'm sometimes i can find it there too but um it's just much easier when it's exceptionally intense and and it captures your attention in a way that you can't think of anything else you know um but but that's it's kind of cool you know
0: can you uh can you remember your first base jump
1: oh yeah for sure yeah not, I mean,
0: So, did you did you do the perine route and train now or did you were you just was it something a bit more adventurous for your first one as well
1: i mean not for the first one uh i didn't de- i definitely didn't take the, the path that most do but um but i did have a a buddy who um you know still to this day one of my best friends he kind of you know he'd been jumping all over the world and and um it was re- really important to him you know this is like Before the craze that it is today, but he was really important to him to to put me through it a bit. So we we did a a lot, you know, a bunch of skydiving in a very short amount of time. I think I did 260 jumps or something in three months, and um, and then we did go to the bridge on the way home from Lodi. You know, um, Lodi was loose those days. I mean, it might still be loose, but uh, it's still pretty loose. Yeah, I think it was like my my tenth jump. I mean, I just finished AFF and. I'm on my 10th load doing like a 15-way in our boxer shorts for, uh, you know, everybody's (laughs) stripped down naked. And, um, yeah, it was funny. But I went to the bridge and uh, did a few base jumps off the bridge. And I think, you know, honestly, like the first time I did a steel load where we climbed up under the bridge at night and jumped through the steel, that kind of felt like my first base jump. The other jumps were just sort of going through the routine, something that I'd sort of thought about for a long time. Um, and felt like, you know, I I sort of had a perspective as to what I was probably going to experience. And um, it was still pretty, pretty wild climbing over the railing for the first time, for sure. But um, I did uh, maybe two trips to the bridge, and just working on some canopy skills, you know, you really need to be disciplined about um, being able to turn around, you know, like doing a lot of front floaters. And and pulling rear risers and spinning 180s and getting the canopy to go around without going under the bridge. You know, that was like the, or even packing 180s, flipping the pack job over and jumping a realistic 180 and just practicing those skills. But my first cliff, my buddy and I walked up to a exit that no one had jumped uh, in, the, in the mountains here. And it was just, you know, I mean, it was full value, man. It wasn't like a known, ex- I mean, it was this, backcountry cliff it was huge you know turned into a place that I'd go and fly a wingsuit um but it was raw and not overhanging by any means and it was long canopy rikes pretty big cliff to an LZ that was really tight like a postage stamp and um you had to stick it because everywhere around there was rocks creek and and trees you know and um yeah. I, I remember, you know, even as a guy who'd spent his whole life climbing, um, my brain, the linear part of my brain was saying, you know, you you, you got this, you te- you you checked your gear, you've trained to do this, you've jumped off of, you know, I mean, I jumped out of a plane a bunch and I jumped off the bridge and I, I knew the whole, the system worked. And everything in my brain was telling me, you know, everything was going to be fine and everything was going to work. <clears throat> but you know maybe from climbing so much standing on top of this you know uh 600 meter cliff um and uh you know just wearing a parachute and looking straight out at the prospect of taking eight running (laughs) steps and jumping as hard as i could into the nether world you know it was like everything in my body emotionally was saying no no no, no, don't do that you don't want to do that (laughs) that's death (laughs) on the stick you know and um Yeah, I remember that feeling and having to fight that feeling. I remember that like it was yesterday, you know, and then uh, obviously every time you do it, it gets a little easier and easier as you learn to trust the system. But, um, but, you know, you only get to do something like that first once, you know, so I definitely remember it. It was cool. And, um, you know, for that, I'm really grateful for, you know, GoPros or whatever, because I still have that video. And sometimes I mean, on the very, very rare occasion, we'll watch it and kind of smile and remember how you know, completely terrified I was, and how how unique an <laughs> experience that was. You know, it was pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I get you, yeah. Especially to to be opening an exit on your first yeah. uh, on your first base jump, proper base jump. Yes, yeah, but so you did. uh you were fundamentally looking for um wingsuit stuff you never look, did any like um low urban stuff or I, I did
1: yeah yeah no i mean i've jumped um some buildings and and uh one of my favorite um slider off objects i guess is, is close to here it's a big smoke you know it's a smokestack yeah um i really do enjoy some of those low i mean i've jumped a water tower that was like um uh, in washington times. no no it's, it's here in Montana. Have you jumped, have
0: you jumped the one in washington where you jump into it
1: Oh, the nuclear thing, nuclear no. Yeah, I have friends who, who uh, have offered, but I've never been to that particular object. Cool
0: and... It is a cool jump
1: because yeah, yeah, nice.
0: all the noise echoes. So when your canopy opens inside, it's you're used to getting like a, but then all of a sudden it goes like, and you think your canopy is ripped in half or something, and yeah, then you fly around in a circle to land. It's a cool jump.
1: Yeah, and I do like the urban jumps. I like um, flying between buildings and the whole, you know, ninja get away with it thing. I, I do enjoy that. Maybe it's a little kid in me or whatever. But but yeah, primarily I got into base jumping for flying wingsuits in the mountains and for, for seeking out exits and the adventure of it. And here we're very fortunate to have that. I mean, you know, um, the wingsuit-based jump population in in this part of Montana is is a population of one, you know, it was just me. So, um, being able to go to these cliffs that I'd spent so much time climbing and exploring and, you know, by myself with nobody else around, hike up there um, and try and find an exit (laughs) and then, you know, find this little perch somewhere, this little falcon perch that, you know, probably nobody had been to because the rock's chassis and it's like in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, if I'd done the research, in, you know, relative to a glide angle to an LZ and I'd walk the LZ and I felt good about it to pull a wingsuit out of a pack and jump it and fly it. Okay. Um, and then, you know, to do that, I mean, I was doing that three to five times a week solo and not telling anybody about it for a long time, you know, and um, all these exits around Montana, you uh, you know, a lot of them still haven't been jumped by anybody else. And, and the ones that have were just friends that came and, and either opened the exit with me or, or jumped it with me afterwards. And a lot of them are really special. And, and, you know, I guess call it selfish or whatever. A lot of them I want to keep that way, not yeah. because, because I'm still jumping them, because I'm not, but um, just because they were really special. And if someone else wants that same experience, then they, they should go and get it. They should earn it. You know, it's like um, some climbing areas, for example. Um, you know, no guidebooks, no bolts. Like it's not you want somebody. Else. It's not because you want to keep it a secret or keep it from them. It's that you want to give them the same experience. I, you know, I want to give them the same experience I had, which is essentially that first descent experience. Because you're going in there and you have to, you have to earn your turns. You know, you got to earn every ounce of it. You got to find the route. You got to find your your way through the 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 wall to the the ridge or the summit. And, um, you know, place your own gear and and make your own decisions and pay your own consequences. And at the end, you'll have a a richer experience because of it. And um, so I think of it not as selfish, but as as being selfless. You know, if I added bolts and I wrote a thing, it would be more about trying to tell people what I did, which is stupid, than to allow someone else to have that same adventure, which I find really high value.
0: Yeah, you're taking the adventure out of the adventure. Somebody wants to go on an adventure. Well, I'm taking this away from you because I'm telling you how to do your adventure. Yeah, I I agree with you. I see the like, I can see the the draw and the the fairy tale story that comes from that. If I do that, even if I know you've jumped an exit, if I know you're the only one. Oh,
1: I think I lost you again. Oh, there you go. I got you
0: now. Okay, cool um yeah i was in turkey uh, I was at turkey boogie moab a few years ago and it all ended turkey boogie like dispersed so there's now no one left There's just me and a couple of guys so we were on youtube trying to find what exits looked like on youtube so we'd go hiking to somewhere where we thought uh, we thought welshlands might be or we thought this place might be and we'd hike and i'd look on youtube and think, that looks a bit like the exit from here. Do you think it's... And I'd laser it just to be sure, like, it's high enough. We should just jump it anyway. And if it's well, from I'm just doing that, just exploring and thinking, is that funky front? It looks like it could be. That was amazing for me because you just didn't have... The, you didn't have a map. You didn't have a guide. It was just... as And your adventure is 10 times that. What you're describing is 10 times that. So I can only... I can relate and I can only... um For me, I would be thinking, yeah, I would want exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, I don't, the perspective of what it was is it's like, once again, like what we were talking about before, it's very hard for me to describe it in a way that actually gives it to someone because man, like, like uh, it's hard for me to describe, um, what it's like to wake up at, you know, after a kind of a fitful night of sleep, knowing that I was going to try and do this thing the next day, um, that, you know, could be the last moments on the planet that I get to spend, you know, and, waking up pre-light, um, you don't have anybody to motivate you. You're, you're doing it yourself. You know, you drink coffee and you drive, you know, 45 minutes down into the mountains and, you know, to turn the radio, you know, you got the music and you got the heat and the whole bit to turn the car off and get out into, you know, the cold morning, uh, before light, put a pack on totally silent by yourself and to, You know, walk into the woods and up into the mountains without anybody with you, and not really any idea as to whether or not it's going to work. To you know, four hours later, end up on some perch, two thousand feet above a raging river in a small spot that you're pretty sure you can make it to, and um, to you know, make those decisions relative to whether or not it's appropriate to do, and pull a wingsuit out and zip it on, and then to to fly it, and the feeling. Of landing, you know, you land safely and walk back out to your, you know, you hike back out to your car, and four and a half hours later, it's still like nine thirty in the morning, and you drive home and you stop at some gas station to put fuel in your truck, and the person behind the counter who's having a completely normal morning is like, "Hey, honey, how's your morning going?" And you're like, "Yeah, pretty good," you know, job, <laughs> and <good. laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, doing that is um, it's like this, uh, it's a gift, you know, it's a gift that you give yourself. Um, and the payback comes from all of the uncertainty and all of the um, the self uh, sort of self reliance as to whether or not you're going to experience something and in, in, in profound or not. That's it was completely up to me. And, and once again, in an arena that no one's watching and no one gave a shit. Like it's just not it's not important to anybody but me. But how it affects me and how it changes me is applicable to the the way I interact with the people I care about most. So in that way, um, I see it as, or I saw it and still see it as a benefit to, um, you know, to, to not just me, right? It's not just a selfish thing. It's like, um, I certainly feel like, uh, you know, I appreciate my partner and my my kid and my life in a way that I couldn't if I hadn't experienced those things. So I'm pretty grateful for, it, for, yeah, for that.
0: You are, you know? you are um, probably, there's probably only a handful of people in the world who are doing what you're doing. Like if, if a handful, you know, like there's lots of people who are base jumping and base jumping become a bit commercial, but there's only a handful at most people doing what you're doing, going out solo, exploring, finding exits, having enough knowledge to research and look at them and think I could do that. You go and you take the exit on your own, walk, you know, walk away. And that's it. It's just for you. That's very, very unique, especially even within the world of Bayesian are very unique.
1: Well, um, but it's it. But it's the soul of it. Right. It's the heart yeah. and soul of it. That's, that's where it comes from. And that's why I guess when someone you know emails me and says, hey, I'm going to go and try and fly far in Texas. Where should I go? How how are the conditions? What, what forecasting tools should I use? I mean, I try and give everybody the respect to answer and to to help if I can, but it, it's a real turnoff, because I'm just like, man, where's the fun in that? I don't want to <laughs> tell you all the answers. Like, exactly. let's go figure it out. Like, that's stuff that yeah. you got to earn, and it's going to mean more to you when you do. So, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, I, um, it's a turnoff when someone says, you know, where's that exit? I want to go and jump it. What's the flight like? Where do I land? You know, I'm just like, man, wow, really? <laughs> like, that, that, you're just, you just basically said, you know, Scoop me some ice cream, but take all the chocolate and all the flavor out of it and, um, you know, put it in a package and uh, and, you know, then, you know, in fact, don't even send me the ice cream. Just send me the video and I'll make sure everybody thinks that I ate it. You know, it's just weird.
0: <laughs> no? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, you're losing the essence. You just want the jump. And for me the jumps the smallest the work probably the worst part the adventures everything yeah. but uh, that's the worst i say to people uh, i've said to people before, like, i do a lot of low urban stuff that's my sort of thing i like sneaking into buildings and i like that sort of. I-, I like to pretend i'm james bond basically yeah
1: yeah, it's
0: fun, yeah. <laughs> sneaking past security and stuff but for me i've done i've gone up on top of buildings and people have been like what do you think i'm like probably be all right but i'm not going to jump and they're like what i'm like i'm just not going to jump and they're like oh but you've come all this way i'm like yeah, how amazing is that I've had the adventure. Like now I go, I'm, I walk off, I don't get hurt, I can go back in a month's time and take the take the jump. But for now, I've had the most amazing adventure. I got past security. I know how to figure it all out, but it doesn't feel right, so I'm not going to do it. And for me, I've had all the best bits. Yeah, I, yeah. That, I, mean, I think I'm funny. basically a burglar. I'm basically a burglar who doesn't steal stuff from people's houses. That's basically what I am. I just yeah, like I mean... entering.
1: That's the that's the deal with urban is is if you can do it without breaking anything and leaving zero trace that you were ever there. That's the only way to win. If you, if you break something, you, you're you lost. You know, like you didn't. You're not doing it right. You know, but but I also I, I agree with that. You know, a lot of people will say, and my friend uh, Rob Heron and I talked about this a little bit. You know, when someone says, "Man, there's so much risk in in base jumping or wingsuit base jumping or whatever, it must be fun," and you're like, "Well." I mean the fact that it could take more than half a day um, to do one jump and the jump itself is you know like a minute and a half or two minutes I mean it's pretty fucking fun you know like you're spending all this time when this this thing that you're actually doing is such a small amount of time and what they're hearing is is that oh it's such an intense experience that all the work is worth it and it's like no you don't understand it's the whole half a day that's the jump it's It's everything that's involved. It's the hike in the mountains and and some of my best jumps like you. I didn't even jump. I walked up there and got up in the morning and and didn't feel like it and was scared and was nervous and uh, didn't sleep well and tried to find every excuse in the world to not go do the jump and still got in the car and still drank the coffee and still hiked up there and when i got to the top i was in a completely different mindset and ready to do what i came to do but you know what the conditions weren't right the wind was strong um, in the wrong direction uh the you know the object maybe had snow on it or whatever there was some reason where maybe it was just my state of mind where i just didn't feel like it was a good uh, idea to jump that morning and because jumping was worth it but one jump was never worth it i'd hike back down and and have that same experience driving home you know i'd still stop at that gas station and still sort of smile when someone asked me how my morning was going because you know the adventure was still had like yeah it didn't equal a jump today but it still was um you know it still required a lot of experience and there were still lessons to learn you know
0: yeah and when you get that jump when you actually get that jump part of the adventure is the amount of times you've been there and not jumped that's That's it that, that, that's all that part of it. It's not just the one day that you go and jump. It's the four days where I went and studied DLZ. It's the two days where I hiked the trail just to find the exit. All of those things are what make the jump. Not just the one day where it comes together.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have experienced uh how awesome it was to have a good flight in the X pier if I hadn't made some of uh, some mistakes and ended up super short, you know. It's like I think, you know, you have to experience the loss and the pain to be able to truly experience how amazing life can be too. you know, uh, you just have to have that perspective. Otherwise, you know, you're sort of um, kidding yourself that you understand it completely.
0: Yeah, definitely. So can you, um, can you talk about this uh, trip that you went on with your buddy to, was it Alaska? Did you say you went?
1: Yeah. Yep, yeah. Can you yeah. talk
0: about that? Cause that, I mean, that is, from everything you spoke about so far and because obviously the the stories that i love to hear that is sounds like an amazing avenger and that's like the epitome of everything we've sort of built up to now like yeah. a culmination of all of it coming together to do something that is completely far out and a bit more wild
1: yeah yeah well and what's cool about that trip is is that we didn't you know at first we were like okay well where are we going to try and make it to and I, I at at some point during the planning i was like nah let's not do that i don't want to I don't want this trip to be about distance. I don't want it to be a red line on a map for some article. You know, I want it to be an adventure, and we're, we'll go as far as we go. We're going to spend each day trying to make progress. We're definitely not going to sit around. We're going to continue to make progress every day and have this adventure. But if we make it, you know, seven k's, or we make it four uh, hundred k's it's still going to be an amazing day and an amazing adventure and a good opportunity. And that's the way I want to do it. I want to be as as present as possible. So um, we we ended up uh, flying up to Fairbanks. And this was actually it was really interesting because this is kind of where the, the this was the birth of, of this new sort of passion for bush flying. This is where it happened. Um, Cody was going to be 12 hours behind me or something um, just because one of his flights got delayed and um, I got there and because you know, we're walking on tussock, which is like, it's pretty brutal walking. You know, it's like, um, imagine, you know, the way I describe it is imagine a field full of, it looks like grass. It looks like you could just walk straight across it. And really what you're walking across is like, imagine basketballs, uh, all stacked together. The whole field was covered in basketballs. And on top of the basketball was like a 12 inch kitchen sponge. And in between all the basketballs was like a foot of water. And that's what you're walking on. So these things, these, tussock um, are you know, collapsing and you're trying to hop from one to the other. And what you see is this easy stroll across grass is actually a kind of a nightmare. So we got pretty motivated pretty quick to fly as much as we could, you know, and carrying 65 pounds, uh, which is like the bare minimum, 1500 calories uh, a day and um, bivy gear and, and a little bit of camera gear, but mostly just exactly what we needed uh, to, to do this trip we did both carry firearms because the, you know, the, it's, it's pretty wild up there. Um, certainly there are, uh, grizzly bears and the, and there's no groceries, so they could be pretty curious at times. Um, and it's important to, to have something. And so, and it's windy. So bear spray wasn't just, it just wasn't an option really. Um, so we, we ended up, um, being able to physically carry 10 days of food and fuel and we, the expedition, or our trip, we knew we wanted to be out there for a minimum of 20, 21 days. And um, the, like I said, the, the area, there's zero access, no infrastructure. And because it's protected, the only thing that um, you know you could do in terms of access would be to fly a bush plane into designated strips. And I think uh, in certain areas in the Anwar and in the gates, you can land an airplane below high water mark. Um, on snow or below high water mark in some of the riverbanks, uh, where you know you wouldn't leave any type of permanent, um, you know, uh, sign that you had been there. Uh, so, our plan was to to carry everything we could um, to basically drive up the Hall Road, or the Dalton Highway, and walk into the mountains to a launch and start flying um, eastward towards the Canadian border. And there's this like the the crux of that trip was going to be crossing rivers because the rivers are big and they're swift. And with 65 pounds on your back in deep water, there's no way you're going to cross it. We had to cross them via paraglider, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these massive arteries through that range, and we had to get across them via paraglider. You couldn't walk across them. Uh, You could, but but most some of them, at least, you couldn't. Um, So, you know, we sort of started our adventure. And when I got to Fairbanks and Cody was behind us, I met up with this bush pilot who was going to do our food drop, our food and fuel drop, one food and fuel drop in the middle of the expedition. He was going to come and bring us another 10 days of food and fuel. And we we didn't want to like hose ourselves by pre-placing it and having to be there at a particular time. What if that time was uh, right in the middle of the best flying day of the trip? And what if that spot was way out of our way relative to the direction we were traveling because the weather was the way it was, you know, which above the Arctic Circle, you have no idea what's going to happen. We had 23 hours of light 24 hours of light, but the sun angle is never good, so the flying is actually quite soft, and it's pretty windy. So imagine flying with light lift and lots of wind um, in a very convoluted mountain uh, environment with um, lots of places to land, but but you know, uh, n- no real route that makes it super convenient to get from one place to another. You know. Um, and your days from rescue. So if you get hurt, you know, your risk management has to be, um, you know, relative to where you're at. And, um, you know, there were some areas where you couldn't get a bush plane in, there's just no way. I mean, you would have to call for a helicopter rescue if you broke your back or something. And that was a major deal. You're talking about a military helicopter coming from a day away, you know, or more. Um, So, you know, it's pretty remote, pretty cool that way. So waiting for Cody, my my buddy who's become kind of a lifelong friend now. Um, and the bush pilot was like, Hey man, you want to go flying? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, all right, (laughs) get in the front seat, you know? And I was like, wow, really? So he puts me in, I had a little bit of sticker rudder time from over the years, just flying ultralights, uh, at hang gliding comps, but I'd never flown a super cub. And in, you know, the first two hours he had me landing on grass strips and riverbanks all over the place and, and it hooked me so even though we had this in, insane adventure up there in the paragliders I was you know most days dreaming of bush planes and sitting in the tent during the storms and thinking about how I could learn how to fly a plane and you know just financially all these things just go I was completely hooked you know like like all the other things that we enjoy doing right I was just totally hooked and
0: you're and, on one adventure but you're already thinking now oh ah, well, I can see well it's I mean
1: to a limit, there was a that that trip was so amazing because there wasn't a minute of that trip where I wished I was somewhere else. I was having so much fun just being in the middle of nowhere and trying to figure out the next launch. And the days that we did fly sixty or hundred k's, it was just like, man, I can't even describe to you what it's like uh, for what I mean. I you already know, but it, you know, to most people, what it's like to have worked your ass off carrying this huge load over ground like that and then up at mountain to be able to put it all on your back and have this intense launch experience because it's nuking or because it's like you know if you land at the bottom it's just such a letdown you know <laughs> to get off to get up to base and you know three four hours later to be way down course line like deep in the mountains yeah. um man landing after covering that much ground with that much weight with no effort just like laughing our guts out at cloud base was yeah. it's it's really cool and what
0: were you, you on know, Jeff? sorry what what wing and what harness were you on at this point i
1: was flying i was flying an x alps or i mean z alps um ozone z alps uh just because it's robust and it's light um yeah. And it's the glider that I flew in the x and I had you know hundreds and hundreds of hours on that platform and just really felt super comfortable flying that glider. It's also got wicked performance for uh, a wing that is light and easy to carry. Um, and I just love the way a two-liner flies. So um, that was the wing for me. Uh, Cody was flying an M7, um, which is also an Ozone glider, and he had just gotten it and wasn't super familiar with it but really liked it. And then we were both flying Cortell harnesses. I was flying a Calibri, um, as he was as well, just because they have 80 liters of storage. I mean, the amount of gear, I just couldn't fit it in another harness and that harness is well built. Um, it's hard to kind of get in and out of, but it's super comfortable when you're in the air, it flies well. And like I said, man, I could carry everything in the kitchen sink. And on a trip like that, when you're totally self-reliant, you kind of need to have everything in the kitchen sink, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, uh. I really liked my kit for that trip and, and it was really the kit that I would take again. Although I just got a Zeolite, um, GT, which I think is the the kit that I'll, is the glider that I'll take up there the next trip. Um, but yes. And, uh, and you know, um, the coolest part of, of that or any type of adventure like that is, um, you know, like in the X pier we could land on roads and you were seeing people and there were, um, there was access in and out of the mountains in the, in the brooks range i didn't we don't we don't care where we land we because it's all wilderness you're in the middle of nowhere regardless and the whole point of it is getting further and further into the middle of nowhere so it was like man we wherever the sky looked the best that was the way we were going there was no well we you know i'd love to go that way because the cloud streets go over the mountains that way but that'll take us far away from our course line or from our destination we didn't have a course line or a destination so we just go that way yeah. and um And it was awesome. It was really an amazing thing. Like, remember one day, um, and I think I wrote about this. We um, we hiked up this peak, and the storm was coming in, and we knew it was coming in. And you know, we got to the top of this peak, and we just wanted, we were desperate to just cover some ground. Um, So we launched, and it was blown over the back. We we ran down, I don't know, maybe a hundred meters or something below the top on the backside to get in the lee. Launched in the lee, knew we were going to fly through the rotor. We did, and it wasn't. It was manageable. It was fine. But pretty soon we're like nuking, you know, and with a tailwind um, down this sort of tight river corridor. And, um, you know, we had plenty of places to land and we were it was the mountains were getting lower and lower. So it wasn't like we were too, too concerned. And, um, you know, at, at the end of our long, fast glide, we just turned into the wind and landed. It wasn't that big of a deal. But by the time we got our gliders in our bags, Lightning was crashing like directly above us. You know, those moments where like you see the light and then bam, it hits you super hard. The sound is just like, like you know, shakes your brain. And um, it was, you know, driving rain 40 miles an hour from behind. We're totally Gore-Texed up, you know, putting on our rain pants and our rain jackets and just soaked to the, you know, and um, we're walking with our packs out this riverbank and it's just eight, 10 foot willow thick. And the only way through it is this trail that we found, which was obviously a bear trail. And, you know, <laughs> we're walking out this 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 grizzly bear trail with fresh grizzly tracks in the mud. I mean, this thing must have been 10 minutes in front of us because the claw holes were were open. There were clumps of mud all around the tracks. I mean, it was right in front of us. And, you know, the raging river next to us. Going through tight turns and thick willow, the the wind and the rain and the lightning, it was like really an intense experience, you know. And we're we're whistling and hooting, just trying to make sure that if that bear was um, in front of us, that it, it knew we were there, because obviously they're they're less interested in being around people. And I just didn't want to come around a corner and be nose to nose with a with a surprise grizzly bear, you know. <laughs> and um, and then you know we we walk out of that. Uh, finally, we get sort of to the mouth, and I see this little escape where some caribou had been walking up the bank, and we walked up this bank, and we get onto this hillside where we have a little bit of an elevated view, and could see a bear coming if if it was coming. And uh, you know, the the storm passes, and it gets sunny again, and it goes from thirty degrees to seventy degrees, and you know, we're steaming now because we're starting to dry out. And you know, we get up on this this hillside, and man, we're tired. We're, we're kind of whoops, so we're going to set up camp. We Set up camp and as i'm setting up camp i hear this dog bark and i like a like kind of nip you know you hear this and i was like man who is out here with their dog i mean we're in the middle of nowhere and i look over and like 100 meters away on the hillside is this big black wolf and it's looking at us and uh sitting there like a like a house dog you know and it starts howling it's just this lone wolf and I howled back and we howled back and forth for over an hour as it was just kind of watching us set up camp and it walked up and over this hill. And, you know, this wolf takes off um, over the hillside as we're howling back and forth. And, I, you know, I'm looking at my watch, it's midnight. And it's it's like yeah. sunny and 70 degrees, you know? And we're setting up camp and it was just like, man, it was such a wild day of, you know, something that's so far different from my normal day that, um you know, th- it's those kinds of memories that stick with me, not, you know, how far we went or, or you know, what we accomplished. It's it's yeah, exactly. being, able, being able to howl back and forth with a wolf in the middle of the in the Alaskan wilderness that like that was cool, you know. Yeah,
0: that's pretty awesome. And so how how far into the trip are you when this happens, when you get that, uh, that experience? I, I, it, was,
1: it was probably eight days in, um, which, as you know, if you're present every moment of those eight days feels like a long time in. You know, we had been we've been going for it and uh yeah i think it was probably a weekend or something yeah
0: yeah so you uh you know you've still got a hell of a way to go yet it's still oh, like yeah. you're, not, you're not at the end you're nowhere near and you've just had this amazing experience you just like plus whatever you've had before that you must be sat there thinking like shit how, how much better is this going to be how much better oh, is man. it
1: oh man i mean that's one of like uh, you know, a hundred stories. I mean, man, it's two days before that we did land on the wrong side of a river and it was stormy and clouds were super low. And, um, you know, there's no such thing as throwing, we didn't even have a rope for a Tyrolean. You couldn't get across the river. There's no way. So we spent almost a full half day looking for a bluff that was into the wind that was tall enough. And, you know, like setting the glider up and, putting all the stuff all like it was like a half hour to pack the harness to get a flight just to be able to you know pull the glider up in a you know 18 to 20 mile an hour wind <laughs> and crab you know across for a five second flight, a raging river that you know like if you if you know obviously like whatever, if you landed in the river, you'd die. I oh. mean you know, you just drown and i mean it was just raging and um you know we <laughs> pulled gliders up and flew the 5 seconds over and kind of hovered to us you know to a landing on the opposite river bank and uh you know put the gliders away and you know there's a moose standing in the willows over it on the other side and you know we're thinking like man we just you know it literally we we spent 4 hours getting across a section that i could throw a rock to but we couldn't have done it without the paragliders and just the Just the experience of trying to get across it, it mattered more than the distance we had covered, obviously, and the the fact that we could keep going. It's like, okay, now we can keep going. And I think later.
0: The lift in positivity must be morale, must be amazing. You've crossed it, you've taken a gamble, you've crossed it, you're uninjured. You must just be looking at each other thinking, shit, let's go, let's carry on, this is amazing.
1: you know, it was uh, incredible about that day was it was so stormy and gnarly. And after we crossed the river, once again, the storm passed and we were able to hike to another launch. And by the time we got to the launch, the launch was perfect and the conditions were perfect. And it was that day actually was our first. It was only like 40 Ks, but it was the first time that we launched, and it wasn't just a gliding flight. It was like we went up to base, we connected thermals, we covered ground, we crossed valleys, and we crossed to several of the big rivers that we needed to cross. And I remember when we landed. I that day, I remember when we landed. It was like, wow, this is. I think this is going to work. Like, I think we're we're actually going to be able to do this. This is amazing, you know.
0: And comparatively, you say it's only forty k, which a forty k flight would usually. you be like, but um what is that comparative to walking the time of walking so a 40k flight how long and it's and you did it in in how long like an hour hour and a half through the flight
1: yeah it was about an hour Uh, yeah it was about an hour it's pretty it's pretty technical flying so you kind of had to be patient but yeah i think it took i mean you know comparatively i think a few days later we did another 65 or 70k flight in an hour so um, it depended on the day and the wind but I think that day it was about an hour to go 40ks and you know how it is man even at home i would I would trade a, a 40k flight um, that took me three hours and I was barely staying off the ground for a, an easy 100k flight any day of the week just oh, because yeah. it's more rewarding you know and I think mo- more than anything it just showed us that what we were doing wasn't stupid it wasn't it wasn't silly we weren't gonna end up 20 miles away from the car two weeks later having sat in the tent for five you know, more than half the time, or whatever. It was like, no, we're having it. We're having one, and and this is going to work. We're going to do this, and um, you know, I don't think there had been some some dudes, some of the locals up there who had flown in the Brooks Range, um, and maybe even some VolBiv Biv had happened, but I I'm not sure if anybody. Certainly, we didn't find any information about a lot of flying uh, north of the Arctic Circle. Um, so you know, at the time, I wasn't sure what the lift was going to be like, or. Or whether or not we were going to be able to fly in the middle of the night, or you know what, you know what our window was and what our capabilities would be up there. And um, and you know, once again, that's the attraction, right? It's like the last time I went to the Himalayas, we went to climb an objective that had never even been photographed. To me, that is more interesting than seeing a pictures of a peak or having it be notorious and and having a line picked out and and all these answers already. You know, I don't want to know the answers. Like that's the point of the adventure, you know.
0: Yeah, I want to write my story. I don't want to know the ending. I want to write my story, and then the ending's gonna come.
1: And it's the reason why, when you know, I I did share the story, like in, I think I might have wrote an article for Cross Country or something. We I made sure not to put a map with a red line on it. I don't want I I don't want people to know where we were. And once again, it's not about being secretive. It's about giving them the gift of being able to do all those things that we got to do. Because for me, the most meaningful part of that trip was. Picking the line, looking at the sky, figuring out the rivers, memorizing the terrain and the the names of the places that we were and what was available and what wasn't and and you know what trouble we'd get in if we went this way and and you know what valley was accessible if we went that way and all of those things you know how high these mountains are what's the weather doing in this part of the range because you know the way the systems blow over the Beaufort Sea and the, come in from the Bering. Like it's blowing one way, one direction, and in, in one place in the range, and another, and another, and it's very commonly consistent that way. Um, so you know, I, I think all of those things, all of that preparation, that expedition preparation, six months of it or more, that's part of the trip. That's that's the get to. You know, that's what people yeah. get. It's cool. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And if you if if you would have put a line on a map, what you would probably find is that it would have hindered you anyway because you would like. You would have had to have conformed to certain things, and you'd have had to, you'd have probably had days where you think, Well, I can't fly today, even though it's good, the wind's in the wrong direction, or the thermic lift is just, and I need to go here because that's where the, that's how we get to the line. So, not putting a line there probably just made it so much easier because people would think it'd be harder, but it's probably so much easier because you have the freedom to just use the elements as they are when they're there.
1: That's it. I mean, for us we didn't we did have days where it was blowing the wrong direction. We walked up ridgelines and it was coming over the back. And that's just part of that type of adventure, but more importantly, um, you know, we were looking at the stability from the sea and the overdevelopment on the divide and trying to find that convergence line between overdevelopment and stability uh, to be able to to stay in an area where there was abundant lift and and a reasonable wind direction or light winds to be able to make progress, and that is going to shift and change relative to time and and uh, you know time of season, time of year, uh, the, uh, a particular season, whichever season that you're up there. So, if I put a red line on a map and someone went up there to have an adventure like that, you know, I want to go up there and fly the Brooks Range. This is where you know Cody and Shapiro went um, let's try and follow this or, you know, it seems like they made it work, but they went up there in a season when they had different conditions. And then we found, um, you know, our line wouldn't make any sense to them. So it's not, you know, if I go back up there, I'm not going to take the same line I took. I'm going to take whatever line the environment provides as being the most logical way to have an adventure that makes sense, you know? And, um, and in that case, it would be a completely new adventure, which is the only reason I would go back up to the same place, you know?
0: Yeah. And you are going back, aren't you?
1: I am, yeah. And I, I want to do it by myself. The The plan is is to fly my own bush plane up there and um, to park it at the tailwaters of one of the big uh, tributaries or arteries that goes into the Brooks Range and then to fly Volbiv by myself um, for a number of days up one of the rivers and then to... Um, to find my way back to the plane. Uh, probably, you know, I don't want to give away too much. But yeah, I, I, it's mostly uh, going to be sort of a, a a solo adventure and and um, to sort of pay homage to the memory that I had with Cody. You know, Cody, unfortunately, was killed in a paragliding crash a couple months after we got home. And um, that trip meant a lot to me. I feel really lucky to have gotten to experience that with him uh, before, you know, he left the planet, so uh, I want to go back and, and have a solo adventure for a lot of different reasons, but partly because, um, you know, it'd be cool to sort of reconnect with some of those memories that way.
0: Yeah, that's, your, that, that's like your, yours in his place. That's like yours in his – yeah, that's where when you go there, it's, you're, you're going to be there with him even though he's not there. Like That's how it's going to feel. You for know, sure that's pretty cool so how long how long was the how long did the um did the expedition take you and when you were out there because it's so hard for us to comprehend in the uk just how big alaska is you can't (laughs) and and you're in a small part of it so it's we can't comprehend it so how long would it how long did the adventure take you and also did you see anyone when you were there
1: so it was a month we were we were there a month uh the trip itself i think we were out in the mountains like proper in the mountains, 21 days. Um, we you know, we got there. We spent a couple of days in Fairbanks gathering supplies. It took a full 10 hours to drive up to the launch off point. And then we started the adventure and then you know, we flew back to Fairbanks and spent a couple of days there before flying home. So um, that's the, the cool part of Alaska part of, about Alaska is you're right. Like we saw a very small portion of this massive area of wilderness. When we got picked up, another buddy of mine, um, Ken McDonald, came and picked us up in his Super Cub and flew us back out of the mountains. And we flew, literally, we flew five and a half hours, not over the mountains, but like in the mountains. And there were no roads. As far as the eye could see in every direction, it was nothing but wilderness the entire way back to Fairbanks. So, you know, even the parts that weren't Anwar were still raw wilderness. You'd see the occasional trap line, We might fly over uh, an occasional village and the the villages up there are only accessible via bush plane or sometimes a uh, boat, you know, from one of the big, you know, like one of the big rivers, like the Yukon. Um, but most villages are only accessible by aircraft. And, um, you know, you would just it, was just, it was so foreign, even to me who lives in, you know, as a guy who lives in Montana, to be in a an airplane and looking out the windows in every direction and not seeing a single trace of humanity. Um, you know, completely unmolested wilderness is is not only unique, but r- it was really cool. It made a big impression on me. Um, so yeah, Alaska is huge. And uh, and um, unfortunately, I don't think that there are that many places on the planet that are like Alaska in that way where there really aren't any any people and there are still um, large tracts of land that you could walk for a month and never never see anybody. During our trip, we did, um, it was interesting, man. We didn't see anybody for a long time. Um, and then I think it was uh, right about the midpoint. Um, and it did, it changed it, even though we were super glad to see our our buddy, Johnny, fly in. Um, you know, funny story, it was like a burly storm. We were hiding in the tents blowing 35 or 40. Cloud base was like 300 feet off the deck. And Johnny had, we were out of food, you know, and um, Johnny's like, you know, man, I've tried to make it, you know, via inReach. He was like, I've, I've tried to make it over Carter Pass several times, not, not going to make it. Um, you know, you guys okay? And we're like, yeah, yeah, no worries, man. We're fine. We're, you know, it'll be fine. And in our minds, we're thinking, ah, we might be a little hungry for a while, but but we are fine. Like we're in our tents, everything's fine, you know. And so, you know, we're laying in the tents at like 1030 at night. It's still light out, of course, but it's storming hard. I, I, I couldn't believe it, man. I, I, I'm I, listening and I, I hear it's, the tell, it's like this telltale drone of a Super Cub. And I'm like, what the fuck? I jump out of the tent and here, I mean, Johnny is like, he's like 20 feet off the water in, in this bush plane with huge 35-inch tires, you know, and he's just carving turns up this river and cloud... The clouds are 200 feet off the deck and it's nuking. I mean, it's blowing hard, you know, driving rain. And he comes and he buzzes the tents. And I'm just, I'm literally, Cody and I are laughing out loud because we can't believe we're seeing him, you know? And he, you know, classic Alaska cowboy bush pilot. He like throws up this big wing over into the clouds, comes out of the clouds, carves a slow turn, drops three notches of flaps, and sticks it on this riverbank like 100 feet, you know? then drives across a raging river, you know, up to the top of his 35-inch bush wheels, driving water through the prop. I mean, just crazy. Just drives his plane right across this river and yeah. pulls up next to camp and gets out in a T-shirt. And he's like, hey, you boys hungry? <laughs> we're like, ah, <laughs> like, oh, dude. That was, it was like it was the single most impressive piece of aviation I've ever seen it, to this day. Seriously, it was so wild. But... He stayed there because he couldn't get back out. I mean, it was just too stormy. So he stayed there for a day and a half, and it changed things. It was like um it was awesome to have him there, and the camaraderie was great. And we were laughing the whole time. But having an airplane and an escape and having someone else other than Cody and I there definitely changed the experience. and when when Johnny f- did get into the plane and take off, and it was just the two of us again, uh, we noticed it even more, you know. Um, and then I think on the like the second to the last day, uh, I heard a whistle and wasn't sure. And maybe a mile and a half away on the other side of the valley in the river, we saw a lone through hiker. It was a I, th- I think it was a woman. She just whistled and waved and was walking with purpose the other way with a light pack. So it's, people do try and cross the Brooks range on foot. It's a thing, you know, like there there are through hikers. They're not very they're far and few between. Um, Very few people want to deal with the mosquitoes, which are, you know, apocalyptic at times and um, and deal with that type of terrain. But people do. And uh, and I'm pretty sure she was a through through hiker. And um, but other than that, we didn't see much, much, you know, in the way of people.
0: Um, Even that that in itself in three weeks, 21 days, you saw the guy you knew you were going to see. And just a random lady walking through. That in itself is amazing. There's no, I don't think there's anywhere in the UK you could go and not see anybody for 21 days. It wouldn't be possible. Even if you go to isolated parts of Scotland, you would still see someone. Within a couple of days, you'll see like a a farmer or uh, someone out hunting or something, you know? So that is incredible. I mean, I constantly am drawn to going to Alaska from reading into the wild to um, then watching other like trips and adventures that people have done and gushel Bauer and stuff flying along past there i'm drawn to go to alaska i'm in no way prepared to go to alaska but it's something that's on my list i will at some point go there maybe take a paraglider but even if it's just to go there and hike for a week or something just to experience just how wild it is you know
1: yeah do it i i, I can't I can't promote it enough, um, you know, whether it's Alaska or somewhere else, you know, but Alaska is a good place for, for that. Just find those, those places that put you into, um, an uncomfortably, uh, you know, distant spot on the planet and just walk. And, um, man, you, I, I tend to find a lot there, you know, and Paul, you know, and Paul's flying up there was pretty inspirational and certainly we've, um, conversed a little bit about maybe connecting with the bush planes and doing some paragliding together up in Alaska in the future. Um, But that's the thing about a bush plane and one of the most exciting things for me to start this whole bush plane adventure and to be flying a bush plane a lot now is the amount of country that you can see and the idea that you can land pretty much anywhere and get out of the plane and go hike and be in the middle of nowhere in a pretty economical way, like, you know, um, the cost of running my plane is less than the most efficient car. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're burning a ton of carbon, you know, you're, you're certainly burning gas, but I mean, my, my plane sips, I mean, it burns like six miles or six gallons per hour and, and, um, you know, runs on hundred low lead. And I, I mean, I, I can fly a long ways in, in that amount of time, you know, so it's, um, and, and certainly relative to wilderness it's amazing
0: well when you consider as well the line of sight that you can you can pretty much fly line of sight you're taking out compared to a car you're going to be burning loads less i should imagine yeah.
1: yeah 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 and and being able to fly lines or fly and check out walls and alpine objectives climbing objectives go look for exits you know there's it there's it's kind of endless it's pretty cool <laughs>
0: Cool. well dude listen it's been amazing to talk to you and i could talk to you all day so we're definitely gonna to have to do it again um but i usually about an hour and a half people like you new know, people tearing off and they come back so i'm just going to keep going on and on and on listening to stories so i'm gonna let you get away um it's been amazing thank you so much for joining me and we will do it again and so a couple of shout outs you want to do mate but send people to your uh, website all that sort of stuff how can they follow you mate let people know
1: oh man yeah well first thanks yeah it's always fun uh you know getting to talk to friends and see old friends it's it's awesome man I really appreciated you reaching out and um and I like this kind of format because just having a real conversation is certainly better than uh you know some sort of contrived um yeah you know way of explaining things or whatever but uh you know in terms of like connecting with me if if people want to follow on you know like I'm it's funny. I'm more contractually obligated than interested in social media, but I d- I would be lying if I said that I don't look at um, things like Instagram and get super inspired by what my friends are doing. I like seeing my friends doing cool stuff. Um, so uh, one thing I try and do is I'm pretty good about answering when people send messages. Um, so whether it's you know Facebook Messenger or on Instagram a direct message, if anybody uh, you know, wants to connect or has a question or whatever, they can always reach out to me. And, and I, and I do, I try pretty hard to answer everybody. Um, but yeah, you can follow along in in Instagram or, or, uh, you know, I'm not as active in Facebook, but, or on Facebook and, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually just starting this, like, it's, it's a little uncomfortable because I don't, um, I, I don't, like I said, I'm kind of a private person, but I am starting this, uh, this this film series, a small little film series, just to share adventures in the bush plane, uh, mostly to introduce uh, whoever wants to watch it to the interesting friends I have, you know, like I'm going to use the plane to, you know, fly down to Moab and pick up Steph, and hopefully we'll go climb and jump something together. Or I'll fly to Hood River and pick up Tyler Brott, who's a pro kayaker, and we'll go paddle something. And it's mostly to try and capture like their perspective on life. Cause I, I've learned a lot from those guys, just my friends over the years. And um, I'll be working on that over the summer just to stay a little bit more local and and um, to use the Bush plane to access all the things that I love to do. Um, so, you know, that might be a way for people to kind of stay engaged and, and follow along. Um, hopefully get inspired to do whatever calls to them, you know, but um, yeah, anybody has anything to say or questions or wants to connect just, reach out online and and uh, you know i'll do my best to, to get back to you quick
0: dude thank you very much i'm uh thank you for doing this i'm lucky to have you as a friend it was great to talk likewise in this respect, mate. thank you very much um stay there i'll say goodbye to you here and then i'll come over and i'll say goodbye to you personally buddy thank yeah, you very cheers.
1: much cheers man
0: right we are i believe we
1: are